how could your business build a strategy or a plan or even a product to help prepare you for um, how those consumer needs might be met into that further out future. Welcome to Branding Over Wine, an exclusive podcast by Branding Mag. I'm Martin Shearer and I'm super excited to be sharing some great conversations with some of our personal marketing and branding heroes. And with us here today, we have Joanne, or Jolipor, Global Foresight Associate Director at Mars Wrigley and one of the leading thinkers and practitioners of foresight. Joanne also has her own two podcasts, Future Imagined and Looking Outside. But perhaps the best description of Joe is as the Wizard of Oz at Mars Wrigley. So welcome, Joanne. I'm very happy to have you here. I'm super interested in looking more at foresight, this looking at how you look at the future a little bit more out. But uh, as you're the expert in this field, I'll let you answer that question and how you look at foresight, what it is, and perhaps to start with, who is Joanna? <laughs> oh, so Joanna, oh, you can't talk about yourself in the third person, can you? That's a little bit crazy. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> I, I, am, I am Joanna or Joe Lapore, and I lead Foresight for Mars Wrigley for the North American part of the division, and I help to co-create it. I've been doing Foresight for about two years now, and my background has been in insight and marketing. I was a marketer for about a decade in the Australian market, hence the Aussie accent that I'm trying to retain. I would say uh, as a person, I've always been really observational and I'm now able to take that, that mindset and those skills that I've always had throughout my marketing uh, career and build that into a more strategic, higher level um, function inside of Mars Wrigley where I practice foresight. That sounds so super interesting. So, and what is foresight exactly? Because we've talked about it a bit before, and how is it different from regular insight? Mm. Yeah, it's a really great question. So if you think about foresight as forward sight or future sight, it's trying to give your organization a lens into what might play out in the future. So it complements insight functions and marketing functions really well because marketing and insights tend to be very focused on really deeply understanding what's happening in your market today based on where what's happened in the past, where it's come from, and really understanding consumers of today and building plans around that for the one to three year horizon. So foresight then comes in to complement that and gives you that lens into the future consumer. So it looks generally three years out, out to 10 years, sometimes even further. And it takes those sort of Ooh. core consumer needs and a core understanding of the consumer and projects that out towards uh, potential future possibilities. So how could your business build a strategy or a plan or even a product to help prepare you for um, how those consumer needs might be met into that further out future? So it's, mm. uh, it's a combination of strategy. It's definitely a lot of insights and it's a little bit of marketing as well. We like to say that it's a 
a true blend of creativity and science. Creativity because you're imagining futures. So it requires you to tap into your imagination and your creativity and painting those futures. Um, but also analytics and science because you are diving very deeply into data, facts, economy, social science, um, and really getting very close to that. And then what you bring to your business is ultimately corporate foresight. So corporate foresight is quite different to future studies, which is where the academics sort of live and breathe foresight. Um, corporate foresight obviously means that you're tailoring foresight to exactly what your organization needs. That is so super interesting. And when you mention it in this way, you suggest it's more strategy, more on what is the role of the company and how can we serve our customers better? Mm -hmm. Does this also entail that it's NPD or is it more strategy? It's a combination of things. So traditionally what we would say is that Foresight doesn't deliver anything. It delivers you provocation, exploration, tools and methodologies to make your existing strategy or plan more robust. So we work hand in hand with our innovation teams to create um, product pipelines that are more anchored into the future consumer needs. We work hand in hand with our leadership team to create a business or a uh, HR people and organizational strategy that will meet the needs of future workers. Um, you know, we work with our marketing teams and our media agencies to make our media plans more future forward. So we're coming into different parts of the organization to give them the, the right level of exploratory thinking and critical thinking to make sure that their existing plans and strategies are pushing further into the future and are almost being pressure tested. Like we, we sometimes um, say that we're the the little, you know, devil's advocate in the corner that's coming in to make sure that your plan is really, really robust based on what we're seeing happening outside of our business because most corporations are so internally focused. They're very, 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 um, you know, well-versed and very comfortable and confident in how their category and their business works as they should be. Um, but probably spend a lot less time looking outside of that, what's happening in other categories, other markets, and really closely looking at the steep uh, macro forces of change around them. So we help to connect them to that. Mm, that's so interesting that you say. You actually said a couple of fascinating things. Let me just step them back one by one. The first thing you suggest is that it's across the board. So you mentioned strategy, you mentioned marketing, but also HR. So mm -hmm. does this also include that you look at business models and how business models change and what this could have an impact on the corporate. Yeah, definitely. So we, we would work uh, quite closely with any part of the business that is looking at uh, transformational change or is building a plan or a strategy mm. that's looking much further out. So for example, uh, we work even quite closely with our sales teams to say what new business model should we be creating and how we reach our consumers and helping to give them a lens into, you know, potential investments in that space. So uh, the foresight team inside of a corporate setting should ideally be helping to serve um, enterprise-wide what we call in Mars Wrigley one demand. So anyone that touches the consumer or anyone that touches the future state of the company. So the, I think that the challenge there that you can quickly see is that we can be stretched very thin um, and we can be leveraged across so many different parts of the organization. And so foresight in any number of different 
um, businesses can sit in different places. It can sit in strategy. It can sit in marketing. It can sit in insights, which is where it sits inside of Mars Wrigley. And um, I think that it's it's probably a great segue then to say foresight should sit wherever it's most needed inside of your organization because there is no formula for how foresight should be leveraged. It should be leveraged the way that your business needs it to be leveraged. Oh, that's so incredibly fascinating. But that means that you have to be like almost like a jack of all trades. <laughs> Before this call, I thought it was, well, this is kind of a marketing function, but now it's, it seems like you really have to look at how is society changing and how will this impact the whole business model? You mentioned HR, you mentioned Salesforce reaching, reaching new types of consumers, perhaps the same type of consumers. That means you must be very widely versed in your business training and learning. Yeah, definitely. I think you know, the best foresight practitioners are people who are very holistic in their thinking. So very critical in their thinking. So really able to analyze things and pressure test plans and strategies. So business minded. And I think definitely my background in marketing and, you know, even building my own P&L helped me to, to really deeply understand what finance needs and how a business is created and shaped and, and becomes sustainable. So that's important. I think foresight practitioners are very observational by nature and our job is to employ foresight tools and skills to be able to then uh, directly connect to any part of the business to be able to leverage those skills and mindsets. So a regular part of what foresight is, is looking across the macro forces of change. They are, you know, like a steeple model. So you are constantly looking at societal and cultural forces. How are new cultural norms being met or unmet? Um, technological change and innovation and science, like we're looking at synthetic biology and how that's evolving economic factors and obviously inflation is a big hot topic that we're paying attention to right now environmental factors and understanding um you know all of the latest sdg expectations and how consumers are reacting to that the political landscape and how that's shaping things like um you know how people come together how people come apart and the division that we're starting to see but also connected to that is legal and how policy and regulation are starting to come in to help to govern people, but also to govern businesses. And then, you know, ethical, um, you know, really understanding how we can shape a better world and what are some of the expectations around that. So if you think about a foresight person paying attention to the steeple model, like they have to be really well-versed or at least well-versed enough across the spectrum of what's happening in the world. And so being observational, reading a lot, being really curious, you know, speaking to people outside of your normal bubble, um, you know, connecting into different parts of the world and, you know, wanting to educate yourself further and further into what's happening, but also balancing that with what you said, the business savviness, the business acumen is um, a challenge, but critical. It sounds like you have the most fascinating job in the world. <laughs> it's a pretty good gig. I'm not going to complain. <laughs> it's, a, it's a really great role. Um, it's a great opportunity inside of Foresight, but I would say, you know, the biggest challenge in Foresight, going back to what I said before, we don't create anything. We create 
uh, maps and we create strategy recommendations and we import into other strategies. But if you're a marketer who likes to create a product, and I remember being a marketer and I loved going to the supermarket and taking a photo with the product that I had just launched. It's an incredible, incredible feeling and, and so empowering to be a, a marketer or, you know, um, start creating an building a brand you don't quite have that same thing inside of foresight you have to be very comfortable to be a little bit behind the scenes it's like the you know the wizard of oz behind the curtain a little bit and you mentioned the wizard of oz so that is fascinating so you mentioned that you have to be a little bit more behind the scenes in this does it affect the type of personality that would be good in such a function oh yes definitely i mean that in itself uh means that you have to be uh, a person that is more strategic in their mindset and, and you know, the Wizard of Oz is strategic ultimately is, uh, you know, behind the scenes like the puppeteer. So what does that mean? It means that you are um, trying to connect dots, that you are uh, thinking critically, in other words, questioning, observing, connecting things together, seeing how things are different as well as how things are similar. Um, pattern mapping, you're sort of like drawing delineations, you're looking at inflection points. And I would say that, you know, a really great, well-rounded foresight person, and I have my own foresight heroes, is someone who is able to really balance the, the fields that foresight is made up of, which are ultimately social science and understanding human beings. Um, history, you know, a real curiosity about what's happened before and how it's led us to where we are today. Economics, um, so really looking at how the world and businesses are shaped and are built to be sustainable. And philosophy, which is my favorite. So I studied philosophy uh, at university and I never thought that it would come in handy, but here we are. Um, philosophical thinking is all about, you know, really questioning why things are the way that they are and, you know, why do things exist the way that they do today? And that's, that's foresight in essence, is you're trying to balance all of those things, balance the things that are more tangible and more quantifiable with the things that are more creative and more human focused to then ultimately help your business to think about the what if. So what could happen? What future could you shape? Um, what future could you be a part of? That sounds super cool. And now I understand the Wizard of Oz algorithm, if you want to call it, or, or allegory a bit better. And I think you've got yourself a new title. It's the Wizard of Oz of Mars and Wrigley. It will be difficult to get rid of that title now. Okay, I'll just go to my boss after this and change my title. That's cool. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> it's, you mentioned a couple of the methodologies that you have in here because it's like a very wide field and somehow this needs to be structured. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned, let's say, infliction points and, and mapping. What kind of tools do you have to get this, all these wide set of ideas and trends and tendencies more structured mm -hmm. and prioritize them a bit more? Mm -hmm. So we generally run foresight, I think like most other foresight practitioners, so I'm not giving any secrets away. This is all um, readily available uh, online through foresight companies like Future Today um, who have uh, made all of their foresight methodologies free and you can download their templates, which is amazing. Um, other people like Future School have, have done the same thing. So you start off in the first phase of really thinking about capturing everything that you're seeing in the world. That's that observational part that we were talking about. So it's what we tend to call horizon scanning. 
And horizon scanning can be captured in num- a number of ways. Generally, it's something like a radar. So if you think about, you know, a big circle where you've got your macro forces around the outer and you're plotting in everything that you're seeing inside of that radar. So an environmental trend over here, a, a political signal over here, it can be small, it can be big, or as we call it in foresight, it's a weak signal a strong signal, an establishing signal, a weakening signal. So as you're seeing things, you're sort of thinking about, is it growing or is it declining? Is it morphing and evolving into something else? And then you move from being able to spot all of that to then being able to analyze it in that second phase. And that's where we start to do things like fringe mapping or um yeah, there's a well-known model called the cipher model, which is where you start to really question and pressure test everything that you're starting to see. Fringe mapping or pattern mapping is one of my favorite things to do. And I, I think it can be done by anybody, not just a foresight person, but it's where you're starting to plot this thing over here and then that thing over there and how are they connected and are they connected? What's drawing them together? What's making them a counter? to one another and then you're doing that across the macro forces as well so how is somebody buying you know vegan products how is that connected into the division that we're seeing inside of the u.s or is it and you're asking a lot of questions you're really thinking critically about who the winner and the loser is out of this situation what could your competitor be doing in the background that you're not aware of or what could their next move be so you're sort of thinking a lot and you're asking loans. And then you move into that third phase, which is where you're using foresight tools to help your business to guide towards decisions. So things like stakeholder mapping, even a simple thing like a SWOT analysis, uh, maturity mapping. So I think anything that will help your business to really understand what you're seeing. So if your business is really familiar with maturity curves, um, you know, the, the classic bell curve of we, we just want to know where the vegan trend is, like how how mature is it in our category? When should we act on it? Should we act on it at all? You can use a maturity mapping tool to be able to say to your business, this is where it's at today. Um, and this is where we see it potentially moving into the future um, and use those tools to be able to guide towards decisions or recommendations. So there's those ones that are sort of core and foundational. There's many more. But I would say it's sort of those three core phases where you're firstly observing and capturing what you see, which is really important. And surprisingly, a lot of companies don't do that. And then you're really making sense of it. It's the sense making similar to an innovation process. And then you're making recommendations from that and really critically analyzing its importance to your business. You know, just between the lines there, you said such an important sense that you slipped in there, just surprising that so many companies, they don't. Well, actually, they don't. And this is from smaller companies to even quite large companies. And then what it falls down to is that marketeers take the job. So they, they see, I see this trend, I see that trend, and I see that trend. But those trends are not critically tested. Mm-hmm. And as we suggested in an early conversation, actually you suggested in the conversation, you don't know if this trend is somehow an idea of the personal marketeer or is really a trend. And is how bias is this. And this is so important that you just mentioned there that mm. by not structuring it, you don't give the company an objective way to deal with the trend. Mm. And that's really important. I mean, then it comes down, they might pick it up or they might not pick it up. Or they might pick it up in a super subjective way and be totally off or interpret it wrongly. And they cannot see the priority of all the trends and everything that's happening together. Yeah, that's exactly right. You said that so well. And I think um, really analyzing what you're seeing is a critical part of that because to your point, I think a lot of 
I wouldn't even say marketeers, I would say a lot of people inside of business these days are really thinking about what kind of a company do I want to work for? What gives me me meaning in my life? And how do I want to feed that into my career? We're seeing this more and more now. It's a trend, um, ironically. And so I think a lot of people and a lot of marketeers are trying to counterfeit that into their brand strategy or their brand plan. It's something that I think is important. I think my brand should stand for something. I think my consumers think the same thing. And then the issues or the political leaning or the, you know, the passion point behind that generally comes from um, the point of view of the marketer, which sometimes is okay. And, uh, you know, you need to be able to pose that to your business with eyes wide open to say, we've analyzed the situation. This is what our strategy is going to be or our plan or our purpose, you know, strategy. Um, but here is how it sits inside of the broader context of what's happening in the world. We've analyzed it. We've critiqued it. We understand the, the draw card. Or we understand the backlash that we might get. We understand that potentially what we're doing is only serving a smaller proportion of people who are, you know, maybe more progressive and are shaping, you know, this part of this cultural context that we're looking at, because this is who we want to stand for. This is where our brand aligns, but really, you know, very clearly and overtly doing that analysis piece is so important um, to be able to go into it, you know, really with eyes wide open, knowing that it's not just your own personal passion that's coming into that. Although that should always, I think, I think personally should always come into your work as your own personal passion but balance that with that objectivity that your business needs because your business is making an investment. It's putting dollars behind some of these decisions, right? So personal bias should be um, pulled out of that as much as possible. And it's almost like good journalism. You know, there is no such thing as objective journalism, but you can already mention where you stand for. And that is just, that's a, um, a good way to expose yourself, if you want to call it that way, to your readers. Listen. I have a left liberal leaning or my newspaper has a left liberal leaning. And that's the way how we, we look at the world. Mm. And that makes it more objective because there's no such thing as total objectivity. And you mentioned one more important thing here mm. is that the marketeer, I'm talking from a marketing perspective, but you already mentioned the business person, has his own personal opinions. But this could not be in line with the rest of the company or the rest of the stakeholders. And also these trends that one person sees for his marketing plan could actually be super interesting for another category or for HR. And by addressing this at a central level on a much higher level, you also ensure that the whole company is in line with the trends they see. So, okay, we see this trend. We see that trend is being, it's becoming weak. We see that trend morphing in that. And it will have effect on these and these parts of the business. And you address it in a consistent manner. That is so incredibly true. And it sounds like Foresight still has a way to go to make themselves more standard practice in business. Mm. Well, I think that when Foresight is done well inside of a corporation, then it does exactly that. It comes in and it, and it gives that provocation to the marketeers yes, it does the, super. the brand strategy. Yeah, when it's when it's done well. What I see a little bit of in Foresight as a practice that's run by more so agencies is that the agencies, um, and I can understand why they do this, they try to make things as simple as possible for organizations because if you think about everything that I just talked about, like that's a lot 
to capture inside of, of, you know, a business. So looking across all of those macro forces, doing all that pattern mapping, doing all that critical analysis, it's a lot. So then ultimately when an agency presents it to an organization, they want to make it really pithy, you know, and (laughs) sound very enticing and be very inspirational and be very provocative so that it drives to an action and to make it simple. And that simplicity is really important, but ultimately I think what they end up doing is designing around what they think the business wants or designing around some of the emerging opportunities that maybe that company is not ready for, that industry is not ready for. So that's where I hope um, we're starting to see a little bit more of this. We're starting to see foresight being created as a dedicated function or a capability inside of corporations that can partner with those external agencies and the external foresight practitioners to, I wouldn't say call out the bias, but just to be able to, again, look at everything really objectively and to say, well, that might be true over here, but this is what we think our business needs, or this is where we think our business opportunity is best served. That is so true. You know, it used to be like that, uh, let's say 10, 15 years ago, that agencies, but also marketing consultancies would bombard you with complexity to show their, their let's say, their, their prowess and to show, let's say, uh, throw up smoke screens and then come with some kind of strategy that was with or not related to the data. But now you actually see the opposite is that they try to dumb it down too much. I mean, sometimes things are just complex. And by putting out the single universal thing or the universal idea, that is just pure bullshit. I mean, there is no universal things. Life is complex. And that means that they take out all the nuance and they take out all the opportunity of decision-making at the company, uh, company, uh, company level because they, they inherently already took the decision for you because they present the data and they present a certain simplistic solution already there and you can only say yes on. Yeah, oh, Martin, you're preaching to the choir over here. I think also building on that, people are complex. We are complex as consumers, as people inside of an organization. So when we try to oversimplify, we almost get rid of that complexity that we all have to live with every day and that we should be designing around. Like people, yes, people want to be more environmentally conscious, but they're also thinking about their wallets, particularly right now. They're also thinking about what's easiest to, to buy, to recycle, to, you know, be what um, what they want to be a part of, what they want to stand for versus what's actually attainable for them. So complexity is a natural part of human behavior and we have to feed that in. But I think it's also therefore the onus is on the organization to be comfortable with complexity. So when you, for example, as a marketeer or as a foresight person present a strategy and it's complex, um, to have that support from the company that that's okay as a starting point. We will make sense of this together, but it's important to see the depth of the thinking and the complexity of the work to start. And there are some really great companies external to us that are doing this quite well. But again, when they present that to an organization, you need that buy-in and the support from the leadership team in particular to say, this is uncomfortable for us. This is not what we're used to. We're used to like a really beautiful image with one simple trend. We're not going to be doing that. We're going to be getting you right into the, the meaty, deep, complex work. Bear with us. You're going to come out of it, you know, enriched for it. Music to my ears. <laughs> Honestly, I think this, this the simplicity drive. Uh, I, I love saint Exupéry, the right of Little Prince, when they said, you know, perfection is achieved not when there's nothing to add, but there's nothing more to take away, which is totally true. But when analyzing the world, first we bring the complexity and then we make it simple together. Exactly. Couldn't agree more. 
on the sources that you mentioned. So uh, suppose some of our listeners want to say, okay, uh, I, I really think that this foresight is something that we're missing. We have to bring into company. What kind of sources can they use to build some data points into the foresight? Oh, there are so many sources that you can use. Um, so I, I think that what I always encourage, and I get I get asked this question quite a lot, particularly from people who are either building their foresight muscles or they're starting a foresight function inside of their business. Um, I would say go broad. So really don't go and partner with a trend agency. Go and have a look across a spectrum of sources that you can then bring bring into yourself using your own tools and methods to make a more holistic and well-rounded view of what's happening. So for example, for us, we use a range of always-on foresight slash trend sources. We use Stylus, Trend Watching, Mintel, Canvas 8, and Motive Base. Um, we then partner that with, I would say, more of those foresight academic sources, the, the future studies sources. So Future Today Institute, Future School, Foresight Factory, Institute for the Future, Soon Futures, um, so even up-and-coming foresight agencies. And then we partner that with industry publications. So these are not the companies that you would say are foresight related, but they really keep a, a finger on the pulse of those macro forces. So Edelman, Dentsu, The Economist, Wonderman Thompson, Gardner. Um, then I would say, you know, partner that with actually speaking with futurists. And these are the people that you can follow online. You can go and have a look at their public external speeches. You can connect with them face-to-face, -face, um, even in some cases. So... Foresight leaders like Sarah Devanzo, uh, Jake Soderitis, Amy Webb, Faith Popcorn. These Super. people are accessible. Um, and then partner that with a few other things like, you know, connecting in with other practitioners, other people doing foresight in other organizations. Reach out to me. I'm always happy to have a chat with people. Connecting with your media agencies. They have people doing trends and foresight. Connect in with other parts of your business. So this is the one that I think is really under leveraged. Um, so your science and technology team, your R&D team, they are looking at patents. They are looking at what our competitors are doing. Your sales team is doing that. Your category team is doing that. So really connecting in with all parts of, uh, of your business and external to be able to just build those muscles around observation and curiosity. I think you, you just mentioned so many wise things just to touch on the last part here. There are things is connecting with the sales team. That is probably the most underrated, undervalued, easy way to get insights, both insights and foresight. I mean, these people are in the market and often you find out they don't even know what they know until somebody asks them. You know, they could, they could be sitting on so much insights, but if nobody asks them, so what have you seen? It doesn't occur to them that this might be like really interesting for other parts of the organization. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we we have a lot of really intelligent, you know, very action-oriented salespeople in, in the business world who are very proactively themselves wanting to gain traction with their customers. And therefore, they're really paying attention to trends. They're paying attention to what's happening with their competitors. Like you said, they're a great source of information. We had a, um, a national sales uh, conference the other week at Mars Wrigley. And I had the, the honor of going and presenting to them on trends, but the real benefit was like me just listening to them. I was there for all of their presentations and I was like, wow, you guys like know what you're talking about. You're so observational, you know, they're connecting dots. 
they're talking to their customer. Your customer is your gateway towards your consumer. Like you should be going and meeting with your customer regularly as a marketer or brand person. Um, and you should be paying attention to who are they supporting? What are they interested in? What are their, you know, annual goal planning, um, you know, cycles telling you about where the future is headed. So I think I, I couldn't agree more. I think the sales team, particularly for marketers, there's that, you know, that tussle that always happens between marketing and sales, but when you can partner together, it's so powerful. So true. Just to make it a little bit more practical, can you say some, uh, some examples at, uh, at Mars Wrigley where foresight has led to uh, a certain strategy or some, some concrete product or initiative? Yeah, definitely. Um, so I think that there are a few different ones um, that we could, we could point to. I think, you know, probably more in the shorter term horizon. Um, during the pandemic, we had a pretty large impact um, on our gum and mints portfolio. So we um, obviously, gum and mints is an impulse product that you only pay attention to when you're about to head out the door and into a social situation where you're interacting with someone and you don't want to have bad breath. We had none of that in the pandemic, right? Nobody was leaving their house. Nobody cared about bad breath. So we helped to to give um, a, a sort of a pivot strategy to the business around mask breath and how people were sort of interacting with people at home and how they needed a distraction and, you know, and a, a moment of reset. So a minty fresh reset while they were working at their computers. So we gave a few sort of prods and prompts towards changing consumer behaviors around that, which was sort of like a more midterm um, recommendation. A slightly longer term recommendation is some of the trends that are feeding into our M&M's brand globally. So one of the products that's just launched as a pilot under the M&M's brand is called Munchums, which is a, um, d a delicious, I had the opportunity to taste it. It's delicious. It's available in the US um, to date. So it's an M&M that's baked and therefore is a little bit better for you. And instead of a chocolate candy, sorry, chocolate on the inside, candy shell on the outside, it's got a chickpea shell on the outside. Um, so it still has that same crunch oh. that you expect. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit lighter. It's a delicious product. And as you can imagine, it just makes you feel a little bit better about eating it. And that's very much connected into all these trends that we were noticing around people still want treats. They want to be able to enjoy themselves when they go for an M&M. They want something that tastes delicious but they also want it to be a little bit more permissible. So those are some of the, the more credible ways into, you know, air, um, air quote, healthy snacking that, that we fed into. And then um, another one that I would say is probably longer term that we're giving guidance on is M&Ms and purpose. So you might have seen M&Ms has gone out with a, um, a, a belonging campaign. So they are all for everyone. Um, and so a part of that is creating a, an actual fund, a fun fund. So a credible way into the purpose um, strategy that the M&M's brand is going down. So these and, and all of these examples that I gave and any other example that I give is not something that like Joe sits in a room and puts her hand up and goes, I think you should do this, right? It's, a, um, it's the input into the broader thinking and the critical analysis of the situation. So for purpose, for example, it's all that provocation that we give around, hey, if you're going to go down the path of purpose, you need something really tangible to back it up in the back end. Like you need 
a fund, you need to be able to show that you're giving money towards this. You need authenticity and credibility. So it's a little bit of those prods and provocations that we've given throughout the process of giving trends um, to be able to make our brand strategies more robust. That is such super cool examples. And I'm really wanting that, um, hoping that those M&Ms will come to Europe any, uh, uh, pretty soon. Is there any launch date that will be launched in Europe as well? Do you know? Oh, I, I think they're still in pilot mode in the US. So it might be a little little way off, but they are delicious. And I hope they make their way to you soon. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Just uh, we end it, we're, we're coming close to the end of, the, uh, the end of our session. Um, for all our listeners out there, can you briefly highlight a couple of trends that you see out there that is, are interesting for marketeers and brand builders across the globe? Yeah, I, I mean, I often talk about when people ask me about trends is, you know, really pay attention to the contradictions that you're seeing inside of human behavior and inside of the market. So, for example, we're seeing this big pull towards the, I, I'd say, like the enticement of the metaverse, right, where people are leaning more into interactive virtual experiences. We've had gaming in play for, you know, decades now. Uh, and this, you know, huge growth of gaming. Um, young people are gaming more than they're watching TV. So they're really leaning into those uh, virtual experiences as a way to connect with other people and as a way to escape. Um, so yes, we're seeing that, but we're also seeing this disconnect. So people want to have a healthier relationship with technology. They want to switch off. They're having digital detox. They're having days without, you know, um, social media. Um, and they're recognizing the negative impacts on their confidence, on their sleep. So it's this trend and counter trend that I, I love highlighting. Um, and I think another one is what we call inside of the business, the joy of misbehaving. So particularly now in this decade, there's so much seriousness in the world that we want to have a little bit of lightness and humor and fun and just reward ourselves and have, you know, um, immersive yeah. moments of in enjoyment. We deserve it. We've earned it. It's a part of our human nature to crave it. And so we're, we are experiencing that, whether it's through having some chocolate or having a, you know, a fun event um, outside of home with my friends. But we're also on the counter to that, thinking a little bit more carefully about where do I funnel that enjoyment and how do I spend my money on those things that are more enjoyable and therefore what we call meaningful indulgence uh, or, you know, or more thoughtful decadence. So maybe I'm paying more attention to how that product is sourced. Maybe I care a little bit more about what that brand stands for or you know, how is it manufactured, how is it made. Um, so it's that sort of counter trend and trend that goes with everything that we look at, um, which just, again, going back to the point that you and I were really passionate about, Martin, is the complexity of human beings. And that gives, gives us, it gives brands so much opportunity to think about shaping the future as well as, you know, being a part of the future that's unfolding. Super. Thank you for this great, great session. I, I really enjoyed it and I learned a lot as well on this. So just to sum up, I really think that we look deeply into foresight, the role it has across the organization, how diverse that role is, trying to find objectivity through building in different methodologies, different, different tools and different sources, and recognizing the bias that you have. And when it comes to trends, I really think uh, this meaningful indulgence and this thoughtful decadence, it just sounds too cool to not look at. And perhaps the most important thing of all, think of kind of trend and counter trend and don't dumb it down too fast 
we show the complexity and we dumb it down together. Thank you so much, Joanna. Very well said, Martin. Thank you so much. It was so much fun. Thank you, Joe, for joining us today and sharing your vision on the developing and crucial role of foresight. Found the discussion fascinating indeed, especially since you combine theoretical high-level knowledge of why foresight needs to be structured and organized within an organization with practical insights on how to do that. I hope, dear listeners, that you found these insights inspiring as well. And if so, please share our Branding Over Wine podcast with friends and colleagues. And when you have a moment, we'd love to get your reviews or ratings. Hope to have you all listening in on our next podcast. And thank you all for tuning in.